Welcome to the Something Admired podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Haber, and I look forward to opening the space to share inspiring conversations with those I admire. Join me weekly as we dive into inspiring leaders, teachers, and thinkers that have a story to tell. With a desire to connect, and more importantly, a craving to learn, this podcast was born. If there's one thing I'm certain about, it is that the world needs more stories being shared and admirable moments that embed in our memories. And with great pleasure, let us begin together. Today I'm speaking with Madeline Sodner Sullivan, who is a biodynamic cranial sacralist, storyteller, and founder of Made of Myth where she spends her time hosting and teaching courses as well as workshops. Today we spoke about the importance of community and how we heal by simply being with one another, honoring the liminal space within each of us, resources to regulate your nervous system, and the power of storytelling and how that shapes our present reality. Be sure to check today's show notes for all of Madeline's upcoming courses and offerings. She has a really exciting one coming up, which is a group of women that follows the 13 moons. It's called Eye of the Heart, and that will be listed below. I was just so grateful to speak with Madeline. We dive deep into various topics that cover a lot of territory, so do check in with yourself, and I am excited to dive into today's conversation, so enjoy. Hey, Madeline. How are you? Hi, Sophie. I'm really good. It's such an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Hmm, I'm so grateful that you're here. And I know we were just catching up before this on where you currently are and where I am, just two opposite ends of the world. Yeah, where yes. are you right now? I'm currently in Hawaii, on North Shore of Oahu, mm-hmm, which is feeding my soul in many, many levels, mythologically and otherwise. Mm, I bet. And as I'm looking at you, um, Madeline is just glowing in the sunshine (laughs) on that sort of other spectrum of the season. So just coming into spring. Yeah. Mm. Well, one question I love to start with is tell me one thing you admire. Mm. Ooh, just in life, in general, in some way. Yeah. In general, anything, anything that speaks to you currently. Yeah. What am I admiring in my life currently? Hmm. Gosh, such a good question. I feel like the first thing that just pops into my mind, kind of connected to your first question about where am I right now? And, you know, Hawaii, I'm from Colorado originally. And Hawaii is like the first place that I came to that I experienced the mythology of the people still being alive and that it actually lived in the landscape still, that you could feel that the stories were alive in the valleys, in the mountains, that the gods and goddesses were still inhabiting these places on an energetic level because the stories have been kept alive. And they're so interwoven with the landscape, with how, you know, Pele, 
created the lands here in Hawaii out of lava. So there's all these, you know, places in the landscape that are actually still connected to stories that are alive. Um, and so there's just something that I'm admiring a lot in my life right now about this more, for lack of a better term, indigenous way of being that's much slower and deeper and connected to the greater cycles of life. Um, and really admiring the people around me that are living in that way and admiring, really taking in, admiring the beauty that this really comes from the beauty in our natural world and taking it in. So admiring plants for the way that they grow and the slowness of the ocean and the way that the wind touches this, you know, their leaves and my skin and just really focusing on taking that in as a form of beauty and prayer and admiration mm. i'm doing my little snap snap i echo that <laughs> thank you for sharing yeah. mm. mm -hmm. and on that note why don't you introduce yourself uh, a little bit about you and what your passion is here during this lifetime right now and what speaks to you Sure. Well, yep. As you said, my name is Madeline and I come from Colorado, which is the original lands of the Ute people. Um, originally, those native people were inhabiting it and they still have a reservation, um, one little tiny corner of it. And my background is in um, healing work. So cranial sacral therapy and um, for also in somatic experiencing more so receiving that work and then learning about it through my cranial sacral teacher who is really well versed in it it's kind of my background more professionally and then Sophie you knew me when I was a sandal maker <laughs> um, so I've had these different vocations a lot of it has been self-taught from this real deep love and interest in craft and creating beauty that we can live with in our daily lives as a way of bringing ritual into a physical reality. So um, was also always into herbalism and things like that. But more recently through my own journey with healing through mythology, I've really started to connect these two places where, or really it's multiple places where ceremony and ritual and myth and the nervous system really all intersect. And how do we bring therapy out of the therapy room and back into community where it originally lived in the container of ceremony story and ritual um, and unfortunately because we've lost touch with so much of this indigenous way of being it takes an extra level of skill and awareness to bridge the nervous system work back into ceremony and ritual so that we can really create spaces communally where we can be touched where we can touch deep places in ourselves in a way and each other that's um, ultimately transformative and healing. So that's really where my work is at this point in terms of the overview of it. Um, and what's funny is that it just keeps bringing me back to understanding that the, the blueprint behind every ceremony is birth. So it keeps bringing me back to the wisdom of the feminine because every ceremony is a portal from one state of being to a new state of being. And there's a beginning 
a middle and an end, just like the birth process. It's really the first ceremony that we all go through. And every ceremony after that is a way to live deeper into what wants to be birthed through us now and this time and step into that liminal um, zone where we're in the birth canal and we're open to being changed and transformed. Um, so I feel like I keep moving away from the goddess work and then she just keeps calling me back saying, no, this is actually where it all is. So I'm actually um, doing a class right now, offering a class right now called Eye of the Heart, where we're really exploring the story of Mary Magdalene and all of the goddesses through time, through different cultures that have carried her wisdom because there's a real archetypal blueprint to her energy. And it's very much the death rebirth story of the goddess. Um, that's, I believe, deeply missing at this time. You touched on one word, liminal space. And it's so fascinating because I was just having a conversation with my girlfriends last night about this. One of my friends is putting on an exposition called liminal space or focused around that. And it has been so much, uh, it's been orbiting very much so around me and my friend group and I'm so interested, like, how was your relationship with that term? And I know you have a really, you have a really deep connection to the meaning behind words. And I love that you use, um, you really look at, for instance, like altar and altar. And I wanted to get deeper into that as well. But you really, uh, and I find even in the Celtic tradition, there, the, for instance, certain words, aren't in their vocabulary and certain words are a blessing. Um, and what does that word liminal space mean to you? And how have you, I guess, found comfort in that space? Mm, such a good question. Well, now you've got me all interested. And I'm like, Ooh, I don't actually know the etymology of liminal. And now I want to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll do that in a second, but, um, the word liminal, you know, that the word liminal to me means the in-between. It's really like there's the threshold from one place and then there's a state of suspension for or a lack of a better word, a place of opening, a place where everything dissolves and comes into form. It's basically, you know, the void of creation. It's this place of no thing and everything, the alpha and omega existing at the same time, um, where all points of potential manifestation are available to us. And then at the other side of that is the threshold back into a known reality. And just saying the word liminal, you know, it brings just a really like sacred, holy, sense of both grounding and opening into my own body and being as we're speaking about it. Um, and I think so many churches um, are built in a way to try to invoke this in us. I know for myself, when I go into churches, I'm not, I was not raised religious, but I find that I seek out these places that invoke this sort of emergent, holy, sacred quality. Um, in us and that's where it's where the mystery we can contact the mystery and know ourselves as the mystery unfolding itself and that's really the primary role of religions 
and most religions actually have forgotten how to do that for us and that's why I really think most people are leaving um, religions is because there's a lack of liminal space available there's so much dogma and so much making things defined and naming them in boxes and what they are and what we should do that there's actually no space being created for a liminal experience um, an emergent experience where you as an individual are accessing a deeper state of consciousness a deeper state of knowing beyond the intellect what your real identity is and what's possible from from there um so that's part of the question and what what was the other part of the question no you spoke to it so beautifully my gosh i feel like your words are the definition that is so poignant to you as a person as well and what you offer and liminal in the sense of, I think one quite, yeah, I guess I can reiterate the second part of it would be more so around how have you felt that you connected to that space? Was there a specific time in your life that I guess essentially brought that awareness of what that space was like? And also how do you find comfort in that space? Because also I find that that liminal space for me personally is a very uncomfortable space. Um, it can be a very holy place, but it could also be a place of uncertainty if I'm not aware of what's coming next or if I am not comfortable with that, that idea of not knowing. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I totally resonate with the uncertainty piece. And I think that um, really ties into, it's really cool to hear you speak about it because it's helping me understand more why creating liminal space has to be trauma-informed in so many ways, because our need to know what's going to happen next is directly correlated to our sense of unease and hypervigilance to track and needing to know to stay safe. And that has so much to do with our nervous systems and um, not necessarily having had a blueprint around, it's actually safe to not know and to just be. So our whole society, I don't even use the word culture anymore because the culture is built from the bottom up. It's emergent and the structures that arise out of a culture are built to maintain, sustain and evolve life in a society takes that emergent culture and imposes a structure over it. And that structure is there to try to siphon the life force out of that emerging culture. Um, and we live in a society. We don't live in a culture. It's not bottom up. So the society is here um, trying to siphon the energy and the society controls that, that life force um, through, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. That's the society is controlling the life force through fear really, which is keeping us in this traumatized state. Um, I don't necessarily think there's an overarching agenda around that. It's just sort of the nature of when a society forms, it needs to keep us in a box so that it's siphoning all of the energy towards the people on the top and using fear as a way to do that and scarcity is really what um, drives that. But to, to come back to your question, um, I think as you're asking it, the first time that I fully consciously became aware of it was through my own trauma. 
and it was in in college kind of having my first um awakening experience and needing support and somehow i found myself going to the religious studies professor's office instead of to the <laughs> mental health center on campus um which i think was a brilliant move and points to so much of what i'm doing now and i i stumbled into kidder smith's office he's this amazing professor that worked at Bowdoin. and i was in a very hypervigilant aroused state and he met me with such presence just being with no agenda complete open liminal presence and it changed how i was it touched me and it calmed my nervous system and he offered me some food and some water which is like why don't they do that at like mental health centers <laughs> come on this is like basic human caretaking and then we just sat together and just to be in someone's presence who didn't need me to be something. And I asked him, I said, where did you learn how to do this? And he started to tell me a little bit about his, his um, path as a, you know, meditation lineage in Zen Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism and otherwise, but still speaking from this place of emergence and the liminal, um, and moving from there and that really hit home to the power and impact of it um, but similarly to what you're speaking to i also have had to really grow my capacity to be in the liminal and um, finding cranial sacral healing is really what has given me the tools and the capacity and the pathway to digest all of the patterns and the trauma responses that have kept me in a hypervigilant state so that I can actually drop into this deeper current that's underneath everything. And ultimately, I, I really do believe that living in the liminal is what an awakened being is doing. That's all that awakening means is that you are the liminal, that there is the groundless ground arising from you as you, as everything. Um, and so the ways I've started to find comfort in it has been through these very specific embodiment practices and also with support. Like so much of the ways we try to do this shit is alone. Like go meditate on your cushion, like go find the liminal alone. Um, but most of us are afraid of the liminal because we didn't have a caregiver at the beginning of our lives whose body also was living in the liminal to some degree. And can give us that sense of, you know, we're human beings. We're just here to be together, not human doings. And could give us that literal felt sense in our bodies of the ground of being, which is just, we're here now. There's nothing to do, nothing to know. We're just breathing, feeling each other. And whatever's supposed to unfold, we can trust that. We don't have to try to figure it out to make it, you know, to keep it in line and in a box we can trust whatever conflict might emerge even from the, the liminal because it's not all you know like grace and beauty and blah 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 like a lot of times what emerges in the liminal space is actually a lot of the tension fields that have kept us from being in the liminal uh, and that's i think where i have needed a lot of skill and and tools to understand 
how do we then be with the parts of us that arise that aren't easy to be with in the liminal? How do we make contact with them without getting wrapped up in them and swept into old patterns? Um, and with group just, support, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm sitting here having goosebumps, you know, just, I want to echo back to you that state of being rather than doing. And as we're speaking, here I am interviewing you, thinking of the next thing I'm going to say, when really those words that you just said brought me back to my body and actually what the gift that this is presenting is that I get to be with you. I get to listen to your story. I get to hear the wisdom coming out of your voice and exactly how that one teacher brought you to that space of the liminal space is profound and so simple. Um, and that's something that I just, yeah, that I'm just really reminded again and again of it's simplifying this, um, you know, it's, it's simplifying. And then again, it's resourcing. And as you were speaking, I just was reflecting back on the first time that we met. Well, one of the first times I went to your workshop and you did a, it was a storytelling and a foot bath where I forget exactly what it was called, but then I'm thinking now you as a cranial sacral practitioner, you really went from the ground up and it's like this full circle of starting at the feet and that ancient practice of storytelling and connecting to story, connecting to land, and then working your way to the head and this um, philosophical thinking, this um, the liminal space, being with the liminal space in a different way, and then working through trauma essentially at the top. And so I just, I found that really fascinating. Mm. And one thing that really I, I would love to touch on as well is that essence of storytelling and how I believe what I've learned from you is that story is medicine, um, especially even in communities and in ancient cultures, storytelling was that space of bringing someone back to connection, back to being, back to the present moment. And I know you even mentioned one time too in a story that it's not past or future, it's, it's all like it's in the present and maybe speak to your relationship to story and where did that begin for you? Was there someone you uh, worked with and, and yeah, what is that connection to storytelling now? Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's really landing for me too. Sophie, as you're saying this, and I just want to, you know, honor and note that as we are being together, this shift is happening for us as we're attuning to the liminal and this is all it all happens in the present moment and it's a transmission and we can talk about the liminal all we want but ultimately we can't drop into it it's not here and it's been it's arising as we're attuning to it so it's just beautiful and exciting and yeah I don't think I'd ever fully I mean I've said those words but now it's entering in a different way that yeah, storytelling is just like ceremony and ritual, this gate, this ancient gateway into liminal space, um, liminal both in the timelessness that when the story is told now, it's being told in the present, 
So most stories aren't told in the past tense when you're telling a myth or a folk tale. It's told, you know, it's a different tense so that it's happening still. And then it's also touching into the liminality of, um, you know, this. There's an archetypal story happening, and how is that archetypal story relating to you in your life at this time? So it's the both and of this is an archetypal journey that exists and many people have been on it. And then that personal, so that non-dual liminality of how is it touching you? And also this has touched everyone through all time at some point and from a specific culture. And, and I can just feel the quality of what happens in a group when you say, you know, would you like to hear a story? And then long ago, not all that far from here. And it just, boom, opens to this way of listening and being that is the liminal where we are being touched by something and being transformed by it um, it's all that's really coming through in this moment around storytelling as the liminal when did i first experience the magic of story I don't know if there's a specific moment at this point that I can think of, but I know that I was deeply touched by stories in sixth grade. We studied mythology of Greek and ancient Greece and ancient Egypt. And those stories touched something in my sixth grade soul. And I just became a voracious reader of like any historical fiction, like anything that was about those stories in that time period to connect with it. And it fed me in a way that I, I don't think I understood until now because it, it really is all these archetypes, ways of being that um, give possibility for who we are now and what's possible. And it wasn't until later when I was doing a Waldorf teacher training, I did a year of a Waldorf teacher training. And in that class was um, a storytelling segment because you have to learn how to sing to the kids, tell a story to the kids. You're basically learning how to make rituals for kids every day. And um, when the storyteller, he told the story that I told with you, Uchi Gyasqua, the scar-faced girl. And um, it's all about, it's a Cinderella story basically from a native tribe in North America. And um, that story just touched something deeply in me. And from then on learning how to tell a story, touching back into that became a huge part of how do we create these spaces where intimacy and transformation are possible. I remember in that moment, having my feet soaking in this beautiful foot bath water and listening to your words as I was on this farm and it was the change of season and it just, yeah, it really brought me back to that, just that desire to sit around a fire, sit around a circle and listen to story. Yeah, it's so, it's so nourishing to all parts of us. I think what you're speaking to is the body can feel it mm. when the story is being told. It's the heart comes online and the brain is there too. And I think so much of our modern world is highly overemphasized on the head center and thinking and trying to understand and using this place as our main way to navigate in the world. And it's, 
incredibly misguided, unfortunately, that, you know, we now know that our hearts have neurons, our stomachs have neurons, and these are actual centers of consciousness from which we perceive and make sense of our world. And um, story really invites all three of those centers of consciousness to be present and to talk to each other and to listen and to be impacted and changed. So, yeah, there's something just so deeply nourishing about the stories. It's still partly a mystery to me, too. <laughs> to be lived into. It is, it is. And I find the same for me, it, it essentially, it brings me back to my child essence. And then it also brings me to this primitive primal state in my body when I listen to a story or, and in particularly to the land that I was born on, I feel like story connects me back to that, you know, for me, I grew up in, in California, uh, sort of that Chumash coastline. And it, it does, it really does connect me back to those. Um, I think the land that I always found a longing to connect with in a deeper way. And for me, I notice when I'm in a place of craving or longing or desiring some sort of connection outside of myself, or even within myself, I'll go to story. And oftentimes a lot of different um, pivotal moments in my life. I know there's that, the one book, I think her name's Anita. She wrote the, in light of the, in light of the moon. Um, it's a, a, that book, it's a myth and, and storytelling book around oh. eating disorders and how each book speaks to a different story and how that connect, that connection healed many women's connection to food, um, but just mm. through story. And same with um, Martine Pretzel and, you know, mm -hmm. grief and praise and then uh, Carissa. Nicola Estes. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 There's something as you're saying this, there's two parts. One is the connection to land and the other is um, the power of naming and of recognition. There is a when we find a story or a word, but specifically a story and an archetype that resonates with where we're at in our lives, there's a coherence and a resonance that forms and it lands in our bodies in a certain way. And it creates that possibility of transformation. You know, when we are able to actually put words or a story to the experience we're having. And in that reflection, we're not alone anymore. And that's, you know, so much of what keeps us from being who we are and transforming together is that sense of aloneness. And once we find a roadmap that lands or a name or an archetype that lands, it, it opens us to that transformation that's possible and connects the personal to the universal in a way that now something new can unfold and, and form. Um, yeah, I remember the story of Persephone and Demeter and her descent into the underworld and back. That was the story that that hit me as, oh my God, this is my story. This is the roadmap that I've needed of, you know, having the earth shatter underneath my feet and being taken into the underworld and not knowing what to do or where to go. And, and now, and then I had a map 
oh, I don't stay in the underworld the whole time. There's this whole, you know, staying in there for long enough that it can, that I can be transformed by it and marry myself to this place of darkness that has so much um, nourishment and, you know, deep, deep wisdom and eat the pomegranate seeds and return to the upper world, not as core, the maiden, but actually transformed into the queen of the underworld that spends her time as the queen of the liminal, really, who goes back and forth between upper world and underworld. Um, and that was a deeply significant myth that I worked with to, to start to find my way in my life. Um, and it touches back on the first part I named, which is that connection to land. And um, someone actually that I am admiring deeply these days is, um, I don't know if you know Sophie Strand, her work. Oh, mm, excellent. So her Instagram handle is Cosmogony and she's very young and brilliant. And she is writing about the connection between mythology and storytelling and the landscape. So she's looking at really connecting back the fact that these myths and stories emerged out of the landscape, not just out of, you know, different human cultures, but that there are sort of these actual fungal blossomings of wisdom that come from the land. And, you, you know, you see that in the myths, like in Persephone's story, a pomegranate is from a specific part of the world. You're not going to see a pomegranate in a Hawaiian myth. Um, so you see little traces of it there, but there's a deeper layer of wisdom to that that we've lost in this global, rootless, orphan life that we're all living. And so how do we remarry these stories back to the land? Because that's really where they came from. And to tell the stories from just a human perspective is just going to keep us in the same disillusioned, fragmented colonial capitalist, you know, machine that's been wounding all of us in the first place. So how do we actually bring the stories back to the land and listen to the land and include it and maybe learn new myths and stories that are wanting to emerge now from the landscapes that we live in? Even as you say that the landscapes without and then also within, and I think that there's that duality between, um, I'm sure, yeah, of course, you know, the Joseph Campbell, um, the heroine, the hero's journey and there, you know, and everything starts with the calling and essentially a lot of these myths and, and, and stories, they begin with this calling, this, um, you know, whether it's the crumbling beneath someone's feet or it's the um, exile to some other land or it's the apple that someone bites and it changes the, you know, the life as you know it. And so essentially there's this calling, whether it's not, you know, it's good or bad, it's, it is what it is. And so what that happens is then you're herald onto this journey, whether you like it or not. And what comes next is you gather your allies and your resources, and you kind of start to acquaint yourself with this medicine bag that you're going to carry on that next journey and everyone you know every story has its own version of their allies and resources and I'm so curious for you personally like what are your allies and resources and I know you've mentioned before but is there some practical tools that you go to when you feel that your inner landscape or your external landscape is changing 
um, how do you, what are the tools or resources that you reach to? Mm, yeah, beautiful question. And I'll answer that in a second. And I also want to, I think it's important what I'm realizing. I love Joseph Campbell. I'm going to go visit. He's actually buried on in Honolulu on Oahu. His, he and his wife lived here. Um, so I'm going to go visit his grave before I leave. But um, it's just chills as I'm saying that. But I think it's interesting. So he really just, he really explored the hero's journey, which is one particular kind of journey. And I really think there's actually two archetypal journeys and to distinguish them feels important to me that there's the masculine, which is the call that you feel inspired. And it's this, the inspiration brings you up and out. And that's what initiates the beginning of the journey. And then there's also the feminine journey, which is that life also happens to us. And as women, I'm saying this is the feminine journey because as women, we get our periods. We don't like decide one day, I want to get my period, you know, like life happens to us and transforms us. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it's beautiful and glorious. We also get pregnant, you know, that's, it's something that happens to us. (laughs) And, and this, and this initiates a journey of descent into the underworld and into the underground. So there's these two myths and one happens by accident, almost not really by accident, but by the greater intelligence of nature moving through us and it pulls us down and in to life and into the mystery and into the dark and into the depths and the other is that more of it begins with ascension and going out and looking for something and a more forward movement masculine journey and i'm not saying that one's better than the other but what i'm beginning to understand in my own workings of this is that both are incredibly important and we've really only given value to the journey of the hero Um, and the journey of the hero of course he eventually does have to descend he does have to face the dragons but there's these two entry points to the story and they're very different and they're both very important because they're archetypal in terms of we experience both as humans you are going to have shit happen to you that you didn't want to have happen you're also going to be inspired and go out and seek and both are real and true and we need roadmaps for both and how to be with both and we have sort of forsaken this idea like that that bad things happen to good people or there must be something wrong with me if something doesn't go right instead of really looking at that moment of the earth shattering beneath our feet as ah as young would say now something good can happen i'll go open the wine Whenever he had clients come to him to say like, oh, I'm so sad. I got fired from my job. He would literally say, excellent. Now something good can happen. I'll go get the wine. And when someone would come to his office and say, you know, I just got promoted. I'm so excited. He would put his hand on their shoulder or something. And he would say, I'm so sorry to hear that. But I think if we all stick together, we can get through this. (laughs) And I just love it. It just points to the... um, the understanding that this polarity is always at play when we focus on the good and get attached to it, it's naturally going to bring up all of our challenges. And when we enter a challenge, it's actually the greatest doorway to our deepest gifts. Um, and how do we orient to these archetypal journeys in a new way that we can actually be with them and be transformed by them and not be trying to fight them all the time. So just went on a big tangent. And I'm forgetting where I started with this. 
No, you know what? Because it's so funny. I mean, it's not funny. The heroine's journey is, and I love how you put that into perspective. So Janet Lucy, she was one of, she's one of my, um, my teachers and she speaks of the heroine's journey. So again, like you speak to the feminine version of the hero's journey, but how you spoke to that was so poignant and really relatable in the essence of these rite of passages that we go through that essentially we have no choice over, you know, they happen to us, whether we want them or not. And, you know, as life does in its, all its different ways, but thank you for that different perspective on it, because I feel like it's, again, it's, you are in communion with something greater than you and how you be with that is where the medicine is as well. Ooh, full body chills. <laughs> to summarize, thank you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm. And, and we, and we can really see in our culture. I mean, I, I can think of all the places in myself that are still afraid when something goes wrong or not as planned, that it's not okay, that there's something wrong and it miss. And we've forgotten how to orient to what Young said, ah, what, what now something liminal wants to happen. Now something emergent is possible. If only we can stop relating to it as if like, well, I was, I, I want to be on the hero's journey and I want to be like, you know, feeling called and inspired and making shit happen and like starting a new company and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, how do we bring back this deeper framework, not deeper, well, deeper in the term that it is a descent, deeper framework, but um, bring back and value equally the mythical journey that is possible from when we eat the wrong apple or something happens to us, or, you know, it doesn't go as planned. There is a mythological roadmap for that, but we have thrown it out the window um, for lack of a better term. Something I just want to even speak to as well as you're saying that is this essence of when you've been through one journey that feels really, really harrowing and that you've kind of, you know, worked yourself through that and whether it was a, you know, a trauma, traumatic event or some pivotal moment in your life where you feel like, yeah, it was life altering. And then as you're journeying through life and something else happens. And I know for me personally, I can feel like I'm at square one and that all the recovery or, or you know, everything I've really worked through to get to that moment of feeling um, in myself again or, or kind of going towards that next thing or just even being present with my journey. I feel this sense of defeat and this, this lack of resource when really what I'm also learning is that my body gets to a certain level of knowing that I have leveled up enough to be able to allow these new feelings to integrate. And that as I'm saying that now, I'm reminding myself that when I have these big feelings, at some point in my previous experience, I was not ready to feel those feelings. And now having a different awareness or different perspective, I can trust that these feelings will pass. This time is a teaching, like you mentioned, and that I can 
you know, pop open that bottle of wine and, and cheers, cheers the journey. Yeah. And cheers the journey. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And I think what you're speaking to, it, it really resonates Sophie for me too, around um, my cranial sacral teacher, who's one of my very deepest, most heartfelt resources in my medicine bag for me, Anna Chitty. Um, really speaks to this beautifully just as you did, which is as we, as more coherence is in our bodies and in our systems and around us, all the parts of us that are incoherent and fragmented feel safe enough to come out and they want to become coherent. So when they start to arise, like Young said, it's, ah, excellent. You know, there's enough ground now that this can actually come up and be felt and who knows how many generations back this has not been able to be felt for i think that's something else important to remember is that this isn't just your feelings or my feelings or my um the ground that's here now is actually making room for uh something that's probably been passed on for many generations that actually has very little to do with us in some ways is more our ancestors imprint in our bodies and in our systems arising and I think this is where the descent myth of Persephone, Inanna, Yuresh Kigal, Mary Magdalene even um, is so important because it speaks to when we descend in, we come into contact with the parts that are incoherent. We're also coming into contact with the ground, the ground of being of the dark mother, the dark goddess that's holding everything, the radical inclusivity that's possible from here. And that state and sense of radical inclusivity is what starts to digest the incoherence and allows us to start to rise up. And as that starts to digest, we're actually building soil. It's, it, you know, there's a great, we could just use a metaphor of the descent builds the soil and then new flowers and new plants are going to start to grow from a healthier soil. And yeah, some of those plants are gonna look like sadness and grief. And some of those plants are gonna look like joy that we've never had before, um, but it's gonna be a much more diverse, thriving ecosystem. And that's, it's gonna look wild, right? It's not gonna be the contained little world that we maybe were managing before. So it's gonna be erupting as this wild cacophonous, but very stable in the sense of it's coming from a deep emergence of health. And, and to be able to trust that um, is something I'm still also learning how to do and, and how so much of that trust comes from going down, being worked and coming back again and again and making it through and not just making it through, but coming out transformed and having more access to my essential self, knowing myself as compassion, knowing myself as joy, knowing that who I really am under all of this is the divine, not in an ascension way, but in a truly embodied, oh, this is real, more real than real. <laughs> mm. That's such a beautiful picture. And I feel like all those different flowers and all those different wild weeds and roots and sprouts and you know, I can, I can really relate that to even my family of origin and how we have different 
uh, we have differences and, and also just different friends and different, again, cultures and the beauty in that and feeling, for instance. So there's a potpourri of all this feeling. And, and I find even in myself, as I descend and also ascend. So as I, I guess, journey through life and as my capacity to feel expands and as I start to thaw from, let's say the numbness of certain things and of certain events and of certain feelings, what starts to happen is the capacity starts to grow and these feelings start to come. And again, like there's no, all right, I'll choose, I'll choose, um, I'll choose joy and I won't choose anger. I'll choose, there is an array of this, I guess, again, it's the meeting ground of something meeting for potentially the first time. And it's again, like, how do you be with that um, with the full presence? And also knowing that like, yes, you are human and that it can look messy. It doesn't have to be this beautiful put together ceremony but again kind of coming back to what you're saying early by just being with it and I find oftentimes even for me when I have a big a, when I have a big feeling or a big experience breath is the first place that I try and just come back to is that's what brings me back into my body and back into the presence mm-hmm. yeah beautiful yeah and oh yes breath so important such a great tool and, mm. you know, we have this really fucked up view of ceremony in our culture because of, I think, honestly, religions and what they've done with it to make it a, it's highly performative. You know, we've decided this is what it looks like. This is how it goes. But really ceremony is this create enough structure so that you can open to the liminal and then see what happens. And it's not supposed to be anything other than it is and oftentimes the sacred arises in ceremony not often most of the time what we think is going to be sacred turns out to be not and it's something completely random that happens during the ceremony or ritual that ends up being the gateway of what's really needed to open us to that realm whether it's like you know is doing a winter solstice spiral and my cat decided to come out and and she was tried to walk the spiral also with us. And it was hilarious. And here we were trying to create this very sacred, holy, quiet moment. But it actually ended up being that the laughter and the humor that the cat brought was like much more sacred and holy than silence. And so, so we get in our own way around thinking that the sacred only looks a certain way or the liminal only looks a certain way. Um, yeah, so breath has been an important tool for me too to ground when things get big. And like you said, with, you know, am I going to choose joy or anger this time? And what I've really learned through the nervous system work and through my teacher, Anna, is that it's not about one or the other. It's about bringing enough joy so that we can be with the anger. We're not trying to bypass the challenge, we're not trying to get rid of anything. That we're actually only transformed through radical inclusivity. And, and we can easily get spun out in the anger or the sadness and fixated on it and identify with it. And that's when we do the old pattern again. So we're trying to bring resource in, not to make it better, not to fix it, not to 
gloss over it or change it, but to bring in enough ground, enough support that that challenge can start to unwind and transform and digest to really have our anger. How many of us have actually really let ourselves not project it out and just blast through it, not suppress it, but really feel in your body, oh, it feels good to be angry. It does something for us. It's intelligent. It has a message for us, not just for our minds, but for our bodies and our hearts. And when we find that relationship to it where we can be with it, something else starts to transform on its own and we can trust how that anger is gonna unfold because everything is consciousness. So that moment that created the anger arising, the situation that created the anger arising is intelligent. What's inside of the anger is intelligent. The anger is intelligent. We can trust all of it. Our job is just to find the way to relate to it so that it can transform us. So in a lot of ways, all the tools in my medicine bag have become relational tools. It's not about the what. It's not about like, oh, well, I do breath work every morning and I do yoga and like blah, blah, blah. It's how am I actually relating to my experience in this moment, whether I'm doing yoga or crying or whatever, so that I'm not spinning out in it and nor am I suppressing it or ignoring it, but I'm actually being touched by it, living as the liminal. And I have found that it's really these relational tools. And I say relational, both in terms of how do you relate to the challenge itself in a new way, um, whether you send it compassion or you know, find a new way of understanding it and also relational in terms of actual human relationship and relationship to all things. So one of my biggest resources is knowing now that I can call in help and support and call in someone else's nervous system and awareness to be with me in a challenge and have found that actually being in a group is the most resourcing thing. It also brings up the most challenges but it also brings in the most coherence. Um, and I think this is something that we have really forgotten, not just in the West, but in the East. You know, all spiritual paths that we really know of are monastic and ask you to leave community and leave your life and to go into internal, the, the hero's journey. Go internal, go it alone, you know, go out there to do it, leave the village. And that there's this other way of being that I would call the descent, the feminine, the communal, the relational tools of awakening that I think we're all hungry for. That is more about how do we admit to each other our humanness and then with skill be with each other so that we can be touched and transformed by life and evolve as life. That ultimately, um, my teacher talks about this quote from Dr. Stone that. Um, that the fulfillment of consciousness is the point of life. That's it. And Joseph Campbell says a very similar th thing. He says, um, I don't think that any of us are actually looking for the meaning of life. We're actually looking for the experience of being alive and to have what's happening outside of us meet the inside of us and for that to match. And that's the liminal. We're looking for the experience of the liminal being touched by life and to be able to be moved and dancing the whole time. So 
I still haven't fully named my medicine bag if I keep getting off on these tangents. No, I'm just <laughs> sitting here. I'm sitting here in complete awe, like just so much resonance on what you're saying personally. And then even, yeah, that aspect of coming back to community, coming back to community. For me personally, what is my biggest medicine is being in circle, being, and not even in the sense of sitting in a circle around and listening to, to each other, but being around other humans. And that aspect of my aloneness, I think of who has it, it's maybe it's David White that speaks to that aspect of um, is something like the, the telephone is this, is a gateway to, you know, out of your aloneness, um, something, the stairway. And I find that I have two meetings. One is my Monday night dinner party that I have my friends over and we, we have our check-in and two, I'm a part of a 12 step group. And so I go religiously to this meeting and just being able to show up, whether I open my mouth or not is medicine. And that is, I think one of the most humbling and exhilarating and moving experiences I could put myself into and I'll actually life-giving experience is being able to sit with others who are feeling, who are experiencing life in their own perspective, experiencing life and resonating as a group. So I love that you touched on that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm, mm. Yeah. Love, love hearing you speak to your experience with it. It's really touching mm. yeah. yeah and I guess one like where do we go from here I feel like we've just yeah. covered so much territory and it's been so beautiful and I guess yeah so so for someone listening how can they you know lastly build how can they actually, I don't even want to go there because I feel like we've really covered so much territory. And one thing I do want to speak to is I know that creating an altar, so an altar or some place of connection to something that is either within or without, or some holy aspect of describe. Yeah. Just speak to me a little bit about what that, what that is to you and what that, what altar means. Yeah, well, that's beautiful because that is one of my, you know, resources in my medicine bag is altar work. Um, I think everywhere I go, I create an altar of some kind and it can be really simple. But as you pointed to that, I really made the connection that the altar is a place we go to be altered. So it is a place of liminality where we can open to more than just beyond our personal lives are invited there, but also opening beyond to the archetypal, to the divine, to the to enter into conversation with the mystery and the universe unfolding. And so making an altar is really a way in which you can start to create a liminal space in your life to be transformed on your own without support from community or village, or you could do it together as a village and community. Um, and really all you need is you could do it out of thin air, but it, it helps to have like a candle and some incense. And then maybe one thing that you bring to the altar that's just speaking to you. It could be as simple as a flower that you admired on your walk or 
you know, I have Mary Magdalene because I'm working with her right now. Um, it could be a book you're reading. Like it could be anything that you bring to the altar that's up for you in your life. It's speaking to you and you light the candle as a way of connecting to the divine and stepping out of your daily life and into the liminal and grounding down into your body and then lighting the incense and clearing yourself if that feels appropriate for you. But what that does is it really sends that signal through your senses in your body that you're no longer in your default mode network, that you're opening to the liminal space and time. And then taking five minutes, you know, 20, however long you have to then come into communion with whatever item you brought to your altar with real presence, whether that's just enjoying the flower, maybe you journal about the flower, um, creating some kind of way of beginning to listen and speak. And we listen to life through our senses. So opening the sense gates, how does this feel? How does it smell? How does it touch me? Um, what does it look like? Can be really beautiful ways to start to be touched by life through embodiment. Um, reading some of the book, maybe you read a part of it out loud and just journal about it or, or think about it. You could pray. And I mean, prayer as in, it doesn't have to be a specific prayer. It could just be speaking out loud. You could make a song about the flower or the book. And then same thing, you wanna close the liminal space too at the other end with blowing out the candle, offering gratitude. Maybe you do another sound or something that helps your body know and your consciousness know, okay, now we're stepping back into life having now been transformed and touched by this very specific thing. And I think that's, you know, birth is the same thing. It's the beginning, the middle and the end and we come out a new being on the other side and if we go through enough of this very coherent beginning, middle, end with transformation in the middle, and it turns out okay every time on the other side, that starts to grow our capacity for how much we can be in the liminal. And we can be with more, we can be with more challenge, we can be with more joy, we can be here for longer until suddenly maybe one day we wake up and we are the liminal and the thresholds to stepping in and out of it are no longer needed. But I really think it's incredibly critical and important that when we're beginning this journey, that we are very clear about beginning and ending the sacred time that we're in, um, because it can, it can, things can spiral out if we don't contain the liminal space because we're really opening and that leaves us very vulnerable. So to close it brings back the sense of containment, groundedness, and makes it safe to open. Mm. thank you for that it's a great reminder to come back to that space of connecting in with a greater source within me and also outside of myself and I feel like as we speak this has been the liminal space we've opened we've spoken we've gone deep we have just gone through this treasure chest of so much story and meaning and connection and I find found this conversation for me like mm, so nourishing to my soul and my spirit and especially I find yeah at this part of the year as I descend into 
this um you know autumn and, and winter which is that this this the descent it's a beautiful reminder and so i just want to close today with the acknowledging of that liminal space and knowing that we are going to enter both of us into and whoever's listening to this as well into back into reality of um, whether you're driving in a car or walking or working or just sitting and listening and both of us here looking at each other just inviting each of us to come back to our bodies and um, come back to these words anytime you need and Madeline it has been such a privilege to speak with you today so thank you thank you so much it's so so lovely to be in your presence sharing in these deep deep places and yeah, just offering so much gratitude to everyone listening and gratitude to the forces that brought us together. And I really like to always end ceremony with gratitude and may whatever is spoken here and felt here bless all beings everywhere. And how can those listening to us currently to this conversation dive into more that you are sharing in the community and do you have any upcoming courses or workshops maybe speak a little bit about that wonderful yeah so you can find me on instagram at made.of.myth and my website is madeofmyth.com and i'm sure those will be in the show notes um, and actually i've just put together an offering that's still open for enrollment it's for women only and it's called the eye of the heart and um, the eye of the heart comes from the gospel of Mary Magdalene. So there's actually a lost gospel of Mary Magdalene. And in it, she talks about how the way to perceive reality, to live from the liminal is through the eye of the heart. Um, it's the word noose in Greek translates as eye of the heart. And so in this group for 13 months, once a month on the full moon, we'll be meeting and exploring these ancient mythologies of the feminine of the journey of the descent and really learning and understanding what that journey requires and asks of us and invites us into together and then we're also going to be learning real embodied skills to come into relationship with each other to open up the liminal to be with our challenges in a new way together instead of apart what happens when we lend our presence to another with skill so that transformation is possible. So yeah, I'm really excited. We have a great group that's forming already. Um, and we've actually already started, but we're keeping enrollment open until the 15th for a few more women to join that feel called to delve into this material. So that's one of the ways. And then I also offer one-on-one -on -one sessions over Zoom and in person guiding in this way. And I do a lot of custom ceremony and ritual work for people going through rites of passage. So if you're looking for support through a wedding or through a death or through a birth or something smaller even, um, I'm here to support people on that journey as well. So beautiful. Well, I'm really excited about those offerings and I will include everything in the show notes so that um, those listening, please do check those there. And thank you again, Madeline. Thank you so much, Sophie. So good to be with you. Thank you for listening to today's conversation. If you have admired and found insight in any territory we covered, 
please share with someone you admire or leave us a review. Thank you again and your support is so appreciated. See you next week.